so a few weeks ago I got a uh, email from CIMC reminding me that I was supposed to do this talk tonight and I didn't have it in my calendar and um, it stayed not in my calendar <laughs> and uh, so last I don't know a few days ago I still didn't have a title for a talk and um, that's not all that unusual for me, but I decided to send an email out to my sangha and ask them for ideas for the talk title, uh, thinking that they could probably come up with something way more interesting than I would come up with. And the way I put it was, what would you like to hear if you came to CIMC tonight? What would you like to hear talked about? Well, there were a couple of, of uh, actually there were a number of responses. Happiness, don't count on it. Vacuum your way to happiness. And then my favorite, which I had to give first place honorable mention to, but no way was this going to get printed by CIMC. Wake the fuck up. <laughs> I like that one a lot. Um... We started doing something on, on retreats uh, in Connecticut. And uh, we'll take a koan, which is a Zen teaching story. And either myself or my co-teacher will talk a little bit about it and seed it with some questions and then open that up for reflection. And it didn't take long for both of us to agree that the retreatants, as a collective, gave a way better talk than either one of us could have had, could have done. So I'm hoping that shortly we'll open this up and uh, as many of you as feel comfortable, we'll talk a little bit about this topic. Um, you know, effort holds a, an interesting and complicated uh, place uh, in uh, Buddhist practice, in any contemplative practice, in athletics, in... Um, writing, in uh, painting, uh, it's complicated. You know, when I think of effort, I think about that energy that is brought to something that holds our interest. It's relational. I don't think about something, uh, you know, that's striving or hard-edged. Um, I did once upon a time. You know, the Zen uh, tradition is uh, famous or notorious for this hard-driving, um, die-on-the-cushion sort of silliness. Um, and in the, in the uh, Vipassana lineage that I was trained in, was strongly influenced by the Thai Forbes tradition. And those folks are no joke either. I mean, they're, they're really... Uh, they really pushed their practice. And so the question of what is right effort? I mean, there's plenty of, uh, plenty of talks out there about it. The Buddha, it holds a place in the Eightfold Path. Um, without some kind of effort, do we get any place? Uh, does it take an effort to get out of bed in the morning? Sometimes people will ask me, well... 
you know, if, if I really uh, let go of effort and intention, won't I just lay in bed all morning and just kind of veg? My instruction generally is check that out. You know, take a Saturday or a day you don't have to go to work and just decide to stay in bed all morning or all day. We find pretty quickly that although we think we're running the show, the fact is we're not. At some point, we've got to get up and go to the bathroom, right? At some point, we'll find the body's getting itself up out of bed. You know, we've all had this experience of waking up in the morning and, and this argument going on in our mind. I got to get up. I don't want to get up. Now, you really got to get up. Well, I know I got to get up, but I don't have to get up yet. Well, you're supposed to sit. Nah, I'll sit tomorrow. I'm just going to stay in bed. And then something happens that we find we're getting out of bed. And as we pay close attention to that, what we notice is that that has started to happen before it's reached conscience, conscious intent. You know, the, 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 so much of what we talk about is a retrospective construction of something that was already on the move. For example, you might say, I turned the alarm clock off this morning. But when you start to look at something as, at something as simple as that, what you find is that there was a stimulus and the body reacted to that. And then the mind caught up. Maybe the mind says, wow, cool, it's another day. Or maybe it says, oh, shit, it's another day. But that is a comment on something that's already happened and is in motion. And we say, oh, I turned the alarm clock off. So much of what we take responsibility for are happenings just like the sitting that I, I ask you to experiment with. You know, we'll say, oh, I'm, breathe, I'm breathing. Is there somebody actually there breathing? Oh, I heard that sound. Did it take an I or a me for that sound to be heard? Now, you might think this is just semantics or something that's it's trivial. Much of our conscious life is shaped by this kind of misunderstanding. So when we talk about effort, what are we talking about? You know, in the beginning, what brings us to this practice for most of us? Because when you really, you know, if you step back, uh, somebody would walk in here and who'd never been in a meditation hall before, and they'd see, you know, a bunch of people sitting still with their eyes closed, some, you know, nodding off and some moving. And, and they kind of wonder about, you know, what are these people up to? And then if they ever saw us doing walking meditation, right, they'd think, this is bizarre. This is bizarre. Matter of fact, I'd, I, one of the, famous teachers who was instrumental in the establishment of, of the Theravadan tradition in this country, Ajahn Chah, 
was out at the Inside Meditation Society a couple of times. And he would go around and people doing this really slow Burmese-style walking meditation. And he'd tap them on the shoulder and he'd say, hope you feel better soon. Uh, it's funny, the ideas that we get about what's effective, what's necessary, and what this so-called practice is actually about. My take on this, and it's my take, is that this is a practice about waking up, seeing clearly what's actually happening not the stories we tell about what's happening, but what's actually happening. So in the beginning, to really begin to see that, it takes some effort, some intention. Anybody who's done any sitting at all knows the kind of commitment that it takes to really sit down and sit still and attend to our life. And then the commitment to take that off the cushion and to do that in relationship. Because if, we, if, our, if our practice is only about what we do on the cushion, maybe we're doing 20 to 30 or 45 minutes a day. Maybe we're doing that twice a day. Where's the rest of our life being lived? And how does our practice relate to that? Many of us get into this practice because of our interpersonal relationships. You know, we find that um, uh, we're losing our temper, or we're really anxious, or relationships seem to not work out on a regular basis, or we're getting in hassles with people, or we find that we're just really discontent in our, in our life as it's unfolding. There's something that we don't like about how our life is unfolding. You know, what else would bring us in to this kind of work? You know, where the, where the fundamental task is to sit down, sit still, don't move, and keep looking at what's happening. We often imagine that what's going to happen on the cushion is going to be really different than what happens off the cushion. And we find the same old stuff. We're restless, we're bored, we're irritated. We want something to be other than it is. We go to sleep, we wake up, we get frustrated with that. Again, imagining that we have some choice, right? I mean, did any of you choose while we were sitting when your mind drifted off? I didn't. <laughs> did you choose when the mind woke itself up out of that? I didn't. I don't think anybody here did. You know, we're beings that fall asleep and wake up and fall asleep and wake up and fall asleep and wake up. That's what we do. And it's so easy to make a problem out of that. And that's the kind of thing that shows up on the cushion that has gotten us into practice in the first place. So our sitting becomes a container that we can hold, learn to hold, 
the deepest difficulties in our life in a way that we can begin to see how they become difficulties. And then we do that in every relationship we're in. Our relationship with food, our relationship with exercise, our relationship with our alarm clock, our our relationship with our roommates, our partners, our spouses, our kids, our parents, the Cambridge traffic. What a relationship, right? But look how it mirrors us back to ourselves and shows us our mind in action. If it doesn't take courage to do this, I don't know what does. You know, to really be willing to look in that mirror as, as we're reflected back to ourselves and to learn from that how we're actually living, that's quite a project. You know, to look moment by moment at ourselves in the mirror of relationship to do that on the cushion and off the cushion. Most of the effort that is required for those of us who are actually drawn to this practice is in how we make such a struggle of it. You know, as we begin to notice how frequently we want our life to be other than it is, or we want the life of the person that we're in relationship to be other than it is. That's where the struggle comes up. And the effort, if you can even call it that, is the willingness to attend to that. In the beginning, we're doing a lot of that. A lot of that. And much of it is in the service of creating a better version of me. And that's fine. I mean, I'm, I think most of the people that I've had really long-term relationships with would say, yeah, Doug, you're a little bit easier to, to be with. You know, you don't make the same messes in quite the same way that you did. Oh, you're still messy. But you clean up better after yourself. You don't seem to blame other people for your upset. You seem to take more natural responsibility for being in these relationships. Sigmund Freud was uh, getting ready to treat some famous artist in Europe and had a long, you know, pre, pre-analytic interview and one of the concerns this artist had um, was, you know, would he change so dramatically that he wouldn't be able to write or paint or, you know, his family would, you know. Freud said, don't worry, your friends will still recognize you. It doesn't change us in ways that are unrecognizable. But it does because we begin to see with greater and greater depth that although there are karmic consequences of behavior, 
We're not doing anything to make any of this happen. That what's called choiceless awareness or just sitting or open awareness, which is usually considered sort of the the pinnacle of contemplative practice, that that's who we are. That's not something we do. Awareness by its very nature is choiceless. It doesn't choose what it hears, what's reflected in it or by it. We can't even call it awareness fundamentally because we don't, we have no way to know what it is. You know, in the same way that most deeply we don't have any way to know what anything is. As we look on the cushion and off the cushion, one of the things we notice in, in ever more profound ways is that there's no thing there. And by that I mean if everything's moving continuously, where is there something to call a thing? Where is there a me to actually call a me? And that doesn't mean we don't continue to use language and use our, our regular... I mean, when I go home, I'm not going to get in your car and go home. I'm hopefully going to get in my car, right? And when I go home, I'm not going to go into the house next door to where I live. I'm going to go into my house. That's my house. But that's only a gross approximation for what's actually happening. So in the beginning, our lives, our minds, are quite a mess. <laughs> when we come to this work. And if we're drawn to it, the effort will be there. When I first started sitting, I was drawn to it, but I didn't like it. There were times when I flat out hated it. And on retreats, the, you know, the Zendo bell would ring, and my first reaction was, oh, shit. Because... You know, for days now, we were trapped with each other. The next reaction was to go to sleep. I mean, sleepiness was my constant companion on retreats for years. I'm convinced that I've got some neck problems, and I'm convinced that one of the reasons I've got the neck problems is this. <laughs> Sound familiar? Look familiar? we carry so much conditioning that's so deep that the work for years can be profoundly difficult. Emotionally and physically painful. There comes a time, though, as we really work, you know, if we work with a good teacher and we're in a good community and we're drawn to this in a way, that we're sitting regularly, we're seeing this as usable in our daily relationships, uh, we're sitting some retreat practice, we begin to see that there's a different order that emerges organically out of this practice. 
Because as we're looking at how we actually live, not how we think we ought to or somebody else thinks we ought to, but how we actually live with a willingness to see the consequences of that, we find that things like right speech, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, don't talk behind other people's back and uh, don't use angry language and that kind of thing. It's the sort of, you shouldn't do that sort of thing. It's very different to really allow ourselves to be with the consequences of those behaviors and let them teach us where and how it hurts and in that keeping company with that, begin to open in a way that is quite different. So after years of practice, often many years of practice, we begin to see that, okay, my life is, if I can use that in quotes, the the life that's expressed as Doug is, yeah, seems to be a little more ordered in a non-intentional way. It's emerged organically. You know, I'm eating differently, not because I should be eating in a certain way, because, but because I'm more attentive to what the body needs. My exercise routines might change because it's less driven by, oh, I've got to do X, Y, and Z, and more driven by what's the body need. It'll affect my daily sitting practice in the same way. At that point, if you're lucky enough, somebody will come along and say, you've put in really good effort up to this point. Your relationships have changed. The way you live has changed. It's time to drop the effort. It's time to drop any intentional practice and be the life you are. That's what's been happening all along anyway. You know, it's sort of like pointing out the obvious. But that puts us right on an edge because what's being pointed to is what drives intentional practice at some point is ego. And it is about self-improvement. Well, if I just keep, you know, if I just keep sitting, if I just keep you know, seeing teachers, etc. I'll get less angry. Or I'll get more loving. The problem with that is the standard that gets set up is set up by the by conditioning, by the ego. Which then says to itself, I'm not good enough, I need to do more of this. And you never get the carrot on the stick, ever. And you never get a chance to see that what the truth of the matter is, is what's happening right here, right now, with no effort at all. And in the, because what this, what this practice points to is living a life, being lived by a life that doesn't have I, me, and mine at the center. 
And one of the really interesting ways to flush out remnants of that is to take somebody who's been doing this for 10, 15, 20, or 30 years and say, no more practice for you. If you're still drawn to sitting, sit there. See what happens. And then, and what will then be noticed are those little remnants of the ego that are just sort of under the surface and not willing to be seen. So effort up to a point, I, I don't see a way to avoid that. But at some point, that effort becomes e- just, it's always been ego-driven to one degree or another. But to continue to, the, to continue that and not challenge that is to miss an enormous freedom. And you can, you can taste some of this no matter where you are on your path. You can do a little bit of, of what we did this evening. Um, I do this almost with all the groups I do now. I'll say to him, you know, if we've if we've done a couple of sittings, I'll say, you know, for the rest of the sitting, just let go of everything you're doing. You know, let go of any intention to practice. Let go of, you know, what you think you should be doing. Just be who you are. Be what you are. Like I said before, you really don't have a choice on that anyway. So why not relax and enjoy it? Doesn't mean it's always going to be pleasant or fun. But it's life, and it's the life we are. You'll all still get up and go to your jobs. You'll all still have, you know, the conflicts that you have. But to begin to relax into a life that is the only life in the moment that we can have can be a real gift. So... Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.